Today I'd like to continue on with our summer sermon series, St. Luke's on Broadway. We're going to be looking at The Lion King. When The Lion King hit Broadway in November of 1997, it was a smash hit. It would soon win six Tony Awards. It would become this huge on-running show, so much so that 17 years later, it is still running on Broadway. Still running on Broadway and has now had over 7,000 shows. It is the highest grossing musical in Broadway history, having accumulated more than $1 billion. Huge success. But we know that the musical is based off of the movie. And the movie came out in 1994. It went back to 1991 and 92 when Jeffrey Katzenberg pulled his people together to work on this concept of The Lion King. But he actually had two shows in production at that time. There was Pocahontas and The Lion King. Both groups had been working a little on their stories and trying to develop the line, the storyline. And Jeffrey had a breakfast, a breakfast where he called all of his animators together And he then kind of put the storyboards up and explained, here's Pocahontas. It's going to be great. It's going to be amazing. It's a love story between these two historical people. And he paints the picture. And then he says, and then we're going to do Lion King. And it's going to be something kind of a little different. It's going to be a story about a lion cub and how he gets framed for murder by his uncle. And we're going to have African music by Elton John. (laughs) And people basically responded with, good luck with that. Everybody flocked to Pocahontas. I mean, all of the great animators who had worked on Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin, boy, they all went to go sign up for Pocahontas. That's where you wanted to be. That was going to be the great show. It was Rob Minkoff and Roger Allers were the directors for... um, uh, going to be the Lion King. And they said they had to go beg animators to come and work for them. And that basically who they got, well, it was the animators who had no strong resume. They hadn't worked on Beauty and the Beast and those kinds of shows. They were new. They were young. What they got was people who liked animals. And so they put together their team the best they could. And there was no doubt about it. Everybody in the studios knew Pocahontas has the A team. Lion King has the B team. They went to work developing their stories. Pocahontas had had a budget of $55 million. It would wind up making $345 million. It was a financial success. It would win two Academy Awards. The Lion King, it had a budget 20% less, $45 million. The movie would come out, and then they would take that show to Broadway. And, of course, it was also at West End in London. In fact, it would be at one time running in 20 different countries around the world. It would play on every continent except Antarctica. The show was everywhere, touring companies, and still running today. And so far today, Lion King has grossed $6 billion. The B team won. No doubt about that. They turned out an amazing story. Rob and Roger got together. They they pulled their team together. 
And what I didn't realize was this is the only Disney animation that's an original story. All the other Disney animations are based off of a book, a fairy tale, a historical event. This is an original story. And when I sat down to put this original story together, they based it on three different characters. Joseph in the Bible, Moses, and Shakespeare's Hamlet. They kept coming back to those three characters and what did they know of them and That was a part of the storyline and the development, those three characters. You remember the story. Maybe you've not seen it. Maybe you're one of the ten people who's never seen The Lion King. I just wanted to remind you very quickly, you have Mufasa, which is the Lion King, and he watches over the savanna lands. He watches over the pride and makes sure that all of the animals are taken care of. And then he and his lioness, well, they they have a little lion cub, Simba. And now Mufasa is responsible to teach his son how to be king, how to hunt, how to make wise decisions for all the animals to keep it all working correctly. But there's also Scar, Mufasa's brother, Simba's uncle. And he wants to be king, and so he arranges a stampede down a canyon And there he has lured Mufasa and Simba and he pushes Mufasa back into the stampede and he is killed. And then he tells Simba, it's all your fault, you're responsible and you need to leave and never come back. And so it is that Simba runs away into the jungle and there he goes to live for years as he is growing up. It's a meerkat and a warthog, um, Timon and, and Pumbaa, who find him, and they're wonderful characters in the show, bring great joy and laughter, but they befriend this lion, and they help to raise him, and they teach him all kinds of important things, like Hakuna Matata, as you were hearing. Just be chill, don't worry, just be happy. And So Simba just kind of lies back and just goes with the flow of life. At home, Scar is living a very selfish life, The rain stops falling, the grass stops growing, the food goes away, and everyone is suffering. There is Nala, the lioness, when is a cub. She was betrothed to marry Simba when they grow up, and she is now out hunting for food for the pride when she comes across Simba. She thought he was dead, hadn't seen him for years. She is so thrilled to find him alive and says, You must come home, we need you to save the people. But for Simba to go home, he would have to confront his past. The guilt, the things that have been done. He's forgotten who he is. And it is this struggle, confronting your past, remembering who you are, choosing the fundamental value in your life. That's what the story winds up being about. Well, the amazing thing when Rob and Roger put this thing together... They brought it together and all the people who seemed to flock to this could relate to the story on a fundamental personal level. So many people who had hurts and struggles and tragedy in their lives, they are the ones who wanted to work on the Lion King and developed the story. One of those was Labo M. Labo. Turned out Labo was born in South Africa. He was born and raised there during the time of apartheid. 
He knew the difficult days there in his African land. He loved to sing. When he was 12 years old, he actually cut a record. But the record promoters, well, they were the white people, and he got paid $20, and they made the money. He started singing in a hotel. And it was the U.S. ambassador who was staying in that hotel who heard him sing and said, I could get you a scholarship to the Duke Ellington School of Music in Washington. And he did. And Labo came to the United States. He went to the music school. And when he graduated, he went to L.A. to try to get into Hollywood. He continued on at the community college. But it's hard to break into Hollywood when your specialty is African music. But he was there. He worked in McDonald's. Sometimes he begged on the streets. He continued to sing in nightclubs on talent night. And there, Hans Zimmer heard him sing. Hans Zimmer was working on a a show called uh, The Power of One, and it was about South Africa. He needed a voice for a song and asked Labo M to sing the song there in that show. The show was a commercial flop, but Labo did well. But Hans Zimmer went from there to work on The Lion King, to do the original score. And when he was there, and they decided they need to have that African voice, they needed to have the music to make this real, he thought of Labo. He had a hard time finding him. Finally discovered that he was parking cars as a valet there in L.A. He set up a time and said, I want you to come in. We need to get together. I want to tell you the story. You can audition. And then it's kind of like he couldn't find him. He finally showed up 30 minutes before this audition was supposed to happen. The directors, producers, Jeffrey Katrenberg, they were all coming in. And he said, let me tell you about the story. And he went through to talk about Simba and the desire to get back the land for the pride. Labo went off for 15 minutes and he came back. The producers and directors all showed up and he started to sing. And what he sang was that incredible chant that begins the movie, The Lion King. It's iconic song that became the trailer that was seen all around the world. It's what begins the show. And what begins the show was take one of the audition. The people were all standing there and he started to sing and they all went, that's it, that's what we're looking for, right there. He helped with some other music on the show. The reason it was so easy for him, South Africa was getting out from apartheid. Nelson Mandela had been released for prison. He was running for president. And what Disney did not know is they thought the music all sounded so great, they had no idea what the words meant. What the words meant was, give us back our land. Just like the lions would have been saying, but it was a political statement of South Africa. The struggles they were going through, he understood. It was a part of his soul. The show came out, as I say, amazing hit with the movie as well. Hadn't been out very long until Michael Eisner, President of Disney, came out and said, uh, we ought to make, take it to Broadway. And he said, Broadway? You're nuts. I mean, this is a show about animals. What are you going to do, have a bunch of people in fur on all fours running around on the stage? I mean, this is about animals, and it's in Savannah, Africa. And Michael Eisner said, we will do it different. And so it was, they went to a lady named Julie Taylor, Taynor. Julie Taynor was unknown. Michael Eisner didn't know her. 
She was recommended. He did not know her. She, she worked in costumes in opera. She had never been a director of a musical. She had no background really in that. Um, she had not had a commercial success. But when they talked to her, they said, we've got to do something different. When we take Lion King to the stage in New York, it's got to be different. We want someone who hadn't done this before, so you will think in a new way. The first thing she had to do was expand the story. The movie is 78 minutes. A play on Broadway has got to be a little longer than that. And so she had to come up with more story and more song without changing the story. And the first thing she did was she called Hans Zimmer and Labo M. I need some more music. Songs that truly will reflect the meaning of the show. And so it was Julie and Labo and Hans who sat down and wrote the song, Endless Night. The song that Isaiah just sang for you, that was their song. A song that captures what the story is about. How Simba, away from home, separated from those that he loves, not wanting to confront his past, and he sings, I feel so alone. I don't know what to do. I'm trying to hold on. And then there's a change. But I know the night will end. And the clouds will part. And the sun will shine. And I will hear your voice deep within. Knowing that Joseph was one of the characters they based the story on. And hearing this song... I immediately thought of our scripture lesson. Because our scripture lesson is of Joseph in prison. He made mistakes with his brothers. They betrayed him, sold him into slavery. He gets lied about by Potiphar's wife. He gets thrown into prison. There God gives him the ability to interpret dreams. He interprets the dream for the baker and the butler. And the baker dies and the butler is redeemed to Pharaoh. And he says, don't forget me. And he promptly forgets him. The very next line, if you go back and read the next chapter, it says, two years later. It's not next week. Two years later. Joseph is in prison. You know, you know there are times that he had to say, I feel so all alone. I don't know what to do. I'm trying to hold on. But I know. I know that the night will end. That the clouds will break. That the sun will shine. And I will hear your voice deep within. It is an honesty of despair and the loneliness and the overwhelming struggle of life and an affirmation of faith. The man who has hope. Why does this show go around the world to all cultures and resonate? To people young and old? We've all been there. We all know what it is to have an endless night. To feel alone. To not know what to do. To try to hold on. But we, as the people of faith, have hope.
I want us to look at the story this morning. I think there's several things that we need to hear. First, the story tells us you do not have to be imprisoned by your past. You don't have to be imprisoned by your guilt for the mistakes you've made. You don't have to be imprisoned by the things that were mean that other people did to you and have caused you harm. You are not imprisoned by your past. It is God who always calls you into a future. For Joseph, you read his story and you find he does not dwell on the past even when he is in prison. What he dwells on is what will God call him to and he does not know what that will be. But there's always a focus on the future. You know, when they started casting parts for the show of Lion King, they chose James Earl Jones to play the voice of Mufasa, the father of Simba. And you know, James Earl Jones, oh my goodness, what a voice he has. I mean, he can say, pass the pepper, please. And you think God just spoke to you asking. Now, what a great voice. It is also the voice of Darth Vader. But he, he, he played the part here of Mufasa, the father of, of Simba. It's fascinating when you go back and look at his life, though, when he was just a boy. He was born in Mississippi. He was five years old when his father walked out on the family, just left the family. And you know, so often when parents split, it's the children who feel guilty. Somehow they feel responsible. He felt the guilt his father left. It wasn't his fault, but he felt that way. And so it was, his mother couldn't take care of the family, and so he had to go live with his grandparents in Michigan on a farm. And the event was so traumatic that James Earl Jones began to stutter. And the stuttering got so bad that he finally just stopped talking. He basically went mute for the next eight years, not speaking. It's not till he got to, a, to high school. He had an English teacher, Donald Croucher. He saw something in James Earl Jones. They had poetry. And when James Earl Jones would write poetry, it was beautiful. The depth of feeling, the way he did it. It was so powerful. And this English teacher was so brilliant in saying, this is good stuff. This is good stuff, but it's really not poetry until you read it. And so he began trying to read out loud the poetry that he had. And then he got him involved in acting. And step out of yourself and feel these emotions. And he began to act and to read the poetry. And he stopped stuttering. The English teacher, who loved him, believed in him, helped him to find his voice. So he could become the great actor he became. And isn't it interesting that he would play the part of Mufasa who would come to Simba who was hiding in the jungle to help Simba find his voice. To remember who you are. That the past does not put you in prison. There's a future. And it is the promise of God for us all. You are not imprisoned by your past. It is God who helps you to find your voice so that you have a future. Second, 
I believe that what the movie or this, the theater story shows to us is that selfish, that is that we're all a part of each other. We all need each other. That what you do and who you are is important. You are a part of the circle of life. We are all interconnected. What we do is important and it matters and it affects each other. You're a part of the circle of life. What God asks out of you is to be willing to try and to risk to do something for the first time so you find what God's call is for you. I, I, I love the song that came with the show that we will be singing. From the day we arrive on this planet, blinking, set into the sun, there's more to see than can ever be seen, more to do than can ever be done. There's far too much to take in here, more to find than can ever be found. But the sun rolling high through the sapphire sky keeps great and small on the endless round. It's the circle of life, and it moves us all. Through despair and hope, through faith and love, till we find our place on the path unending in the circle, the circle of life. We all matter. What we do and who we are to find our place. I know that Joseph, sitting in that prison, when the nights are long and he feels alone, had to think of his great-grandfather Abraham and how God came to Abraham and said, I'm going to build a great nation through you and bless all the world. It was a promise passed on to his grandfather Isaac and to his father Jacob and now to him. Joseph didn't understand exactly how but it would sustain him in the dark moments that he too was a part of something bigger than himself, that he mattered in the circle of life. When Michael Eisner was looking for someone, I told you they found Julie Taynor. What an amazing lady. She was unknown. Michael Eisner didn't know her. No one on Broadway would have called her out. But if you knew her, you understood this actually was her moment. She had been born and raised in Boston. She had a wonderful mom and dad who encouraged her to try new things. She found as an eight-year-old kid she loved the theater, was always going down to different camps and being a part of theater troops. Her parents encouraged her to dream and use her imagination. When she was 13 years old, she went on an international learning experience living in Sri Lanka for a year, getting an education. She came back home, graduated high school at 16. She went to Oberlin College, got a degree um, in, in, in folk history. I didn't know there was a degree in folk history, but she got this degree. And, and then she left and she went to Japan and Indonesia for four years to study mask and dancing and puppeteering. And so when they came to her and said, we need you to take this movie of all about these animals in Africa and put it on the stage, it was Julie who would have the idea and go, what if we have a mask on top of the head? So you always see the face. We don't try to hide the face of the actor, but we give them a mask as well. And if you notice, the mask always will make a circle. Except for Scar, always angular. But for everyone else, it will be the circle. 
And then we'll get out here and, and you have the gazelle wheel that rolls across stage. If you've seen the gazelles, they don't try to hide it. If it's a puppet show, you would hide that and you'd just suddenly see the gazelles jumping. They said, no, we will see the puppeteer roll the gazelle wheel. And then the characters, well, they'll in a sense be the puppeteer making the animals do the things they need to do. But you will see them. We will not hide them. And you don't hide the chorus. You'll see the chorus. And when she came and shared her ideas with the theater people with Disney, they all said, that's the dumbest thing we've ever heard. It will never work. But it did work. It captures your imagination and you fill it in and you begin to see it immediately. It was this huge success. And this was all Julie who dreamed this up. And in the end, as I told you, it won six Tony Awards. She won a Tony Award for Best Costume. And she also won a Tony Award for Best Director of a Musical. The first woman in history to win Best Director of a Musical. And when she was at the Tony Awards, she stood up to accept the Tony and she talked about how it was a bittersweet moment. Because on opening night, back on opening night, her father went into the hospital. And he never came out. He never did see the play. She said that night she missed her father so much because he couldn't be there. But she felt him within. And she said it was my mother and my father who were the ones who encouraged us to play, 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 to be open, to experience, to do things for the first time. Because that's how you will find your place in the circle of life. When you're young, you do one thing. When you are older, you do something else. But it doesn't matter. Everything is important, for we are connected. What you do matters. Be willing to remember who you are, and let God help you find your place in the circle of life. And finally, I believe the the show reminds us that selfishness leads to a barren life. That things get out of balance. That the spirit withers and dies. That's what we're supposed to see in Scar. Once he is king... And it's all about him. He is very selfish. It's just all about me. And when it's all about me, the rain stops and the grass doesn't grow and the animals go away and everyone suffers. Everyone suffers because of his selfishness. And it is the message that we're supposed to hear when we live out of a spirit of selfishness, everyone suffers and our spirit dries up and dies. It's when we choose to love and open our hearts to love. It is when we make choices on the goodness of all that you begin to experience the joy in the circle of life. For us as Christians, it is the belief that we have been loved by God and when you open your heart to love, you can endure the endless night. You find your courage to be the person God called you to be. You start to love. 
and you live. You know, there's no greater scene in the Bible than when Joseph confronts his brothers. The endless night will end. Joseph is remembered by the butler. The Pharaoh has a dream. He interprets the dream. It's going to be seven good years and then seven really bad years. And the Pharaoh makes Joseph in charge and they collect the grain. And when the famine comes, the world comes down to Egypt to buy grain because they have it. And one day, unbeknownst, Joseph looks up and here comes his brothers to stand before him. It has been years. They do not recognize him. And they need something to eat to survive. And so they come. And Joseph has to decide in that moment, is this going to be a moment for self? To get even? To have retribution for what was done to me? Is this going to be a selfish moment? But he chooses to love. He will fall on his brother's necks and cry and reveal who he is. And because of that, they're able to be taken care of. Balance is restored. The family is made one. His father will come. There is life because he chooses to love. It's the story of what happens in The Lion King. Of how Simba, trying to just go with Hakuna Matata, it's just all okay. But really is so alone and out in the world until Nala comes. Nala, the lioness that he was betrothed to when he was just a cub, she's out hunting for the pride, comes across him, and she doesn't recognize him at first because she thought that he was dead for all these years. And when they recognize one another and something starts to stir in his heart, to be reminded of a love for her, to be a love for his mother, the pride, a love for his father, it helps him to become that person that he was supposed to be. Something happens when you open your heart to love. I, I love the line out of the song, Can you feel the love tonight? The peace the evening brings. The world for once in perfect harmony with all its living things. To know harmony and peace. It doesn't come until you open your heart to know love. As you know, Elton John wrote that song. He wrote that song for Simba and for Nala. But Rob and, and Roger, they had a good time in this movie and they kept trying to be creative and push the envelope and do different things. And so they decided to take this love song and, uh, and have it to Timon and to Pumbaa, the meerkat and the warthog, and decided they ought to sing this love song to each other. And so that's how they put it into this movie. And they forgot to tell Elton John. They came near the end to a private screening where, you know, you go out and bring some people in. You let them preview the movie. You get their feedback. What are people thinking and what are they hearing here? And they invited Elton John to come to that, that private screening. And when it came at the end, they said, he was very calm. He simply came up and said, you ruined the whole thing. You destroyed the project. And he left. The next day, after Elton had had longer to think about it, he called Jeffrey Katzenberg. And now he wasn't so calm. 
He hollered and screamed and said, What are you thinking? You people don't know what you are doing. The good news is, love can hear. And love can change. And Rob and Roger thought, He's absolutely right. And so they came back and they redid the end of the show again. And now you had Simba and Nala singing the song, Can You Feel the Love Tonight? Because it was the love for Nala that opened Simba's heart to feel all the love of the pride in his mother and his father and remember who he is. And so when the movie came out, they had the right love song. And of course it got an Oscar nomination for best song, and it won. Can You Feel the Love Tonight won the Oscar that year for best song in a musical Because it is the question, can you feel the love tonight? Have you grown still to feel God's love? Have you had the courage to open your heart to love those around you? It's how when the night is so dark and you feel so alone, it will help you to confront your past, to let it go, to find the courage, to be the person that you've been called to be, to find your place in the circle of life. Because then you can feel the love tonight. It's in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayer.